Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is Sean Caranese, Level 1 from Sacramento, California. I'm in the room here with Ricky Hayashi, Level 3, also from Northern California. And I'm sitting on the left, so I guess I'm kind of the Mashi Scanlon of this relationship. Probably because I'm Asian. And Asian guys seem to sit on the left. Although now Luis is on the left of... Uh, Magic TV and... That's right, and Sean is on the right. Sean Gregson is on the right. Okay, well, we'd like to just present to you uh, our overall goals, and those are really to talk about judging because it doesn't get talked about in a lot of the podcasts. Uh, you always sure. hear the bad beats about, oh, the judge did this terrible thing, terrible ruling, you hear about those sorts of things, um, but judging is really an awesome and rewarding sort of thing to do, and I really hope that uh, maybe we can inspire some of you to become judges or at least, uh, you know, give us a break when you uh, see us out there on the PTQ circuit, uh, feet tired from tromping around for 12 hours on a day on concrete floors, etc. Um, well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a continuation of what I was doing with my column for various sites, you know, the Ricky Rules. It was trying to get players to understand a little bit better what we do as judges. Um, because we're all, you know, we're all here for magic because we love magic. And for a while, back in the day, there was kind of an antagonistic us-versus-them relationship. Right, and judges as the enforcer. And, and, yeah, and it hasn't been that way for a while, but I, I just wanted to bridge the gap more. Um, so that's why I wrote, and that's why I'm doing this now. Might still do some writing, but I have a lot of projects right now, so talking is a lot easier than writing. Absolutely. And, and having Sean you know, shoulder some of this load and do the technical stuff mostly. I'm terrible with technical stuff. Well, I concur that actually talking is a lot comes a lot more easily than writing does, um, and I, I also concur with uh, some of your reasons for wanting to do a podcast like this. Um, judging for me has always been about uh, raising the level of play uh, in my local play groups in my local area, and really that's come to fruition personally for me as I be become uh, more involved in the judging program because I noticed that my own level of play has been raised where I feel like, wow, I really can, you know, maybe at coming Saturday I can actually top eight a PTQ or I can actually, you know, do those sorts of things. And part of that is being a judge and really having to sit down and learn the rules. And you also see that top level of play. It's a, it's a common kind of misconception that judges are not good at magic. Um, my good friend Adam Shaw actually did a study of average ratings of judges um, over various levels. And he discovered that we are, you know, well above average, um, somewhere in seventeen hundreds or something. Now, though, though I should I should put the caveat out there that anybody who's played against me knows that when I do make a bad play, I always laugh it off, saying, "Well, you know how there's the saying that uh, those that can't do teach, well, those that can't play right. judge." Well, I, it's actually not really the case, but uh, you know, whenever I punt a game, it's usually a, an easy way of writing that off. Yeah, I mean, judges have excellent technical knowledge of the game and the rules. So they're, they're going to play generally better, but it's just we don't, you know, we're judging instead of playing a lot of tournaments. So we don't have as much practice. We might not know the metagame as well. Uh, some cards might take us by surprise when we're playing. But in general, I'm, I mean, compared to Friday Night Magic players, I think judges are far, far better. And at the PTQ level, I, I think we kind of slot right in there where, 
you know, you hang around and might have a shot at top eight type of thing. Sure, sure. Haven't okay. made one in a while myself, but I'm hopeful for this weekend. Right. Well, and, and actually speaking of, of that top level of play, getting to the, the top eight of a big event, uh, we had a couple, and this is going into our news segment here, just talking about uh, some of the interesting things that have happened recently involving judges uh, in the world of magic. And two of them happened at the same event. Um, and that was in the, the Star City Games uh, top eight. Uh, at their Right, so this was in Dallas. Um, right. Sean and I judged in L.A., which was Actually, the first let's, one. Let's cut this for a second. I totally flubbed the intro to that, too. Okay. So Rewind. <laughs> right, cutting from there. So this is an opportunity to talk about some of the ways that judges have been involved in recent big things that have happened for the magic community. Um, and one of those just recently happened uh, in the Dallas uh, Star City Games 5K weekends, uh, where they had two 5Ks over the course of a weekend. So I guess that's a 10K, like they're advertising it. Um, when they have the top eight, uh, I believe this was of the Legacy event uh, on Sunday. Oh, yes, this was definitely Legacy. So in the top eight of the Legacy 5K in Dallas, uh, we had two game losses awarded. Um, and these are for not your typical sorts of, well, you know, there's the deck, deckless mismatch you always get in round two of a PTQ. That's the most common sort of game loss I think that most players are familiar with. Right. Um, but when it comes to these, these are actually um, pretty interesting cases. I don't know if you wanted to talk about the first, Ricky. Well, the first one was for an infraction called uh, insufficient randomization. Right. I've given out one of these myself, actually, at a Grand Prix. Um, and it's it's memorable to me because it's the only one I've given out. Uh, it's very only rare. game loss or only insufficient randomization? Insufficient randomization. Okay. The only insufficient randomization penalty I think I've ever given out. Um, and it's, again, a high level of play. Um, you'd think that players know better. But uh, let's talk about, a little bit about why we gave this out. Okay, the definition is that a player unintentionally fails to sufficiently randomize his or her deck before presenting it to his or her opponent. A deck is not randomized if the judge believes a player could know the position or distribution of one or more cards in his or her deck. If the insufficient randomization was intentional, the infraction is cheating. Manipulation of game materials. So right. there you go. Um, what and was described was that the player... Um, Shuffled normally, but his first shuffle was fine. Drew his opening seven, looked at it, didn't like it, mulliganed. Basically, he, uh, he put, the, put his seven cards back on top of his library, and then I believe only did a pile shuffle after that. Right. And pile shuffling is one of those things that is um, not a form of randomization. The way I define it to people is, if I have a deck, you know, if I have my 60-card deck, and I know what the bottom card of the deck is, because I looked at it or something, turned it towards me and looked at the bottom card, and then I do a pile shuffle, I know where that bottom card is. It's in the last place I put a card in a pile. Right. So then if you start putting the piles on top of each other, I can put that top card of that pile, you know, on the top of my library or somewhere in the middle or you know, right. a certain number of cards from the bottom. So I know where that card is, and that only gets worse if you know more of your library or if you know some order. Pile shuffle alone just doesn't cut it for those reasons. Absolutely. Yeah, um, you're reordering something that you already know the order of. Well, or potentially. Yeah, a, a, a good player, um, or not necessarily a good player, but a, a devious player is more of a better description, uh, can really track the location of a card through that. Um, so pile shuffling alone do, is, does not uh, randomize. Now, this also, um, you'll, you'll notice that 
in the definition that Ricky read, uh, there was the element of intent being a different infraction. You'll see this throughout all the penalties that judges ever give out. If you intend to make some sort of infraction that will bend or break the rules of magic, um, generally speaking, you're getting into a, a very different place than what most infractions will go to. Right. Um, if you play Day of Judgment with one white and three other mana, you know, that could just be an accident and it's a game rule violation. Back it up, put right. the spell back in your hand, untap your lands. But if somehow it's discovered that you knew that you only had one white mana and you were trying to pull a fast one, you're you're done. Yeah. See ya. Yeah. Uh, you've you've played your last spell of the tournament and probably for quite some time, if that's the case. It's um, an epic spell. Right. Right. Can't cast any other spells for <laughs> right. probably six months. It's a remove target player from the DCI for three months or six months. That's that's quite a powerful spell. Um, actually, it's remove yourself from DCI. Um, yeah, what if you could target someone <laughs> for a DQ? Yikes. Well, yeah. Don't give people that power. Um, right. Well, and let me also mention the, the my experience with insufficient randomization because it comes in a lot of different flavors. The, the flavor of, of pile shuffling when you should know the order right. of certain cards, that, that's definitely one thing. Um, so one other thing I see a lot of players do um, when they're playing around the kitchen table or playing more casually is that they will uh, riffle shuffle with the cards facing toward them. <laughs> I knew you were going to say right. that. <laughs> and this is something, this is actually the circumstance where I've given my insufficient randomization game loss. Uh, it came, I think, in round nine of uh, the first day of Grand Prix LA. Uh, came back to the, the table and handed the players their decks after a deck check. And I hung out there for. 10, 15 seconds just to see how they were going to get their game going. And in that time, um, one player decided to shuffle up his deck real quick, and he shuffled it facing it toward him, um, cut it once, and presented it to his opponent. Well, I immediately said, stop. I need, I'm need. i about to give a game loss here, but I need to check with the head judge first, because usually in a Grand Prix you're not going to give a game loss mid-match um, without checking with the head, head judge first, especially for something that is perceived as controversial as randomization. Um, so I went and checked with the head judge really quickly to let him know, this is coming, you're probably going to get an appeal. Here we go. Go back to the table, sort everything out, say, I'm sorry you've lost the game. Um, you've done this, you've given yourself a game loss by insufficient randomization. Um, the long story of this was that um, I actually, well, I'll give you the short version. I was going to say, <laughs> the isn't this story, the long version already? Well, no, the short version is that we ended up taking another, ooh, nine minutes or so to resolve this oh, with the player just didn't want to stop talking to me about it and really didn't want to stop arguing with me. Well, I didn't mean to do it. Well, right. If he'd meant to do it, he would have been out of the tournament. Um, it was actually my bad uh, as a judge where I should have tabled the conversation and simply said, you know, I'm sorry. I, we don't have the time to go through the rest of this right now. Um, if you want to see me after the match, I understand. Uh, we'll talk about it then. At the moment, I need you to play game three. Go. Um, and that's what I should have done. Cut the conversation short. Uh, saved everybody in the tournament a good, you know, eight or nine minutes. Um, I didn't, and I've learned from that. And sure. I hope that this is one of my pet peeves. I'm always, uh, I'm always harping on level one, sometimes level twos. Don't, don't sit there and argue with the players after you've given a ruling. Right. Or don't argue while you're giving the ruling. The, the best thing you can do is decide a course of action deliver your ruling, and if the player gets a little argumentative and, you know, is trying to talk with you about it, just say, I'm sorry, that's... Well, don't say I'm sorry. Um, but say, that's my final ruling. 
if you would like to appeal to the head judge, you may do so at this time. And obviously, most of the time, they're going to do that. Mm -hmm. But we want to get it to the head judge as quickly as possible because right. they're going to have you know, more, more experience dealing with difficult players and in uh, delivering difficult rulings. So they'll be able to handle the situation better. Right, getting it to that point is, is definitely critical. Um, so, and that's, so that's my experience with insufficient randomization. Um, I definitely hope that uh, in the future, uh, don't shuffle your cards toward yourself. Don't only well, pile shuffle. Well, let's, why, why is it bad, right? We, have, we should oh, explain. of course. Because well, if you know, if you do a pile, and I said if you know the bottom card of your library, well, when you're shuffling face up, you know what the bottom two cards of each half are. Doing face -up well, at the very least, I mean, if you're yeah. riffling them together, you can catch. You might see you know, other cards. You can catch the borders of certain cards and say, "Okay, I know my white border earthquake is fifth from the top." There's all sorts of bad things you can get into if you shuffle toward yourself. Um, and you and know, some players try to say, "Well, I wasn't looking at them. You know, that they, they were looking up or away or something." And sure, that that can be helpful, but just try it yourself. Take your deck, riffle, shuffle, face up while kind of looking up, and you can still, out of the corner of your eye, see, you know, what the bottom two cards are of those Absolutely. riffles. And of course judges understand the, the feeling of, well, I don't want to show my opponent my deck. I don't want to sh shuffle facing toward him. That's fine, too. Shuffle tw facing toward the, the flat surface of the table or off to the side. Yeah, those are can, both totally suitable. You can riffle on the table like uh, casino dealers do. You can also do kind of the holding your deck off to the side, uh, kind of a side riffle, I guess, or oh, cover a the side bottom. mash. Right, cover the bottom of it when you're when you're doing those side mashes or when you're doing those riffles. There are plenty of other ways to do it. Um, so I think we've spent probably enough time ex explaining insufficient randomization. Um, well, there's one more, one more insufficient randomization, which is the difficult one. I kind of touched on it earlier, like what if a player does a pile shuffle and then maybe two quick riffle shuffles, like... That's that's very sketchy territory as as to whether it's insufficient randomization. Right, right. It's difficult to tell. Right, because that player will know the approximate location of a card. He won't be able to say, well, that one's fifth from the bottom, but he'll be able to know the approximate location still. Oh, this card's in the top half, this card's in the bottom half. Um, and that's still not good enough. Some, some judges would call that uh, IR, some wouldn't. I know some judges who just say, could you please, you know, riffle a couple more times? Mm -hmm. Because mostly, you know, we're looking for the effort, right? right? If you do a couple of riffles after the pile, you're showing some effort, and you might just want to quickly just say, hey, can you do just a little bit more mm -hmm. for, you know, for the sake of not being insufficient, right? Um, so the main thing is just shuffle, shuffle a little more, because we're talking about five, ten seconds of extra shuffling. To be certain, and and this this most recently, of course, happened in the top eight of a five k. So you've got some serious money yeah, on the line. Serious business. Yeah, it's something where where you know spending the extra fifteen seconds that it takes to do a few more riffle shuffles, that's worth it. Invest the time because to you, it's worth not losing the game. Now, when it comes to uh, this this other one here, that that first insufficient randomization that was in the quarterfinals of the top eight. Uh, right. So insufficient right. randomization at competitive. And professional rules enforcement level, which mm -hmm. is most PTQs, right. GPs, these 5Ks, etc. That's a game loss. Right. Now, this other game loss is not something... I think we see it even less than I don't, IR. I don't think um, I've ever given a game loss for this sort of infraction. Um, and I'll just describe the infraction to you briefly here, where we had, um, in the final match of the top eight, 
uh, for this Legacy 5K, um, we have uh, one player committing a game rules violation. Game rule violation, abbreviated GRV. Right. What is that? Well, it's when you do something that you shouldn't, and you do it in contravention of a game rule. There are game rules and tournament rules, and when you break a game rule, uh, something that says you need to pay two white mana and two of some other color, or any color, for a Wrath of God, um, and you pay something other than two white mana, and you know if you if you somehow pay five for it, um, if you some, well, if you only if you only play it paying three, you can pay five. If you tap five mana and play a Wrath of God, I, I think we're just going to assume that you played it and you're floating one. Well, but you're not passing priority. Saying as you're as you're passing priority, you need to say how much mana is floating in your pool. Oh, okay. There, there is a game rule yeah. that says that. So, I don't know. Would you say GRV for not announcing the floating mana uh, or player communication? Uh huh. Well, the intent there was saying I, I would I would we're coming up with a hypothetical here, but I would still say that that's a game rule violation that he's got to play it correctly with the correct mana if that's what he's intending to play. If he's intending to tap that one extra mana and forgetting to tell his opponent and hoping his opponent doesn't realize that so that he can just use that off the cuff for a force spike somehow. Yeah, um, yeah this used then, to be a common tactic right. where you over-tap if you think they have a force spike or a mana leak. Right, and, and if that's the case and he's not communicating that, um, then you have either uh, a, a communication violation um, or you have fraud. And I, I would be, yeah, fraud's kind of on the outside there, but it's still possible. Right, so GRV is just to sum it up as kind of the catch-all. Just any right. kind of thing that isn't covered by other more specific infractions, like right. a mistrigger. Right, and so so what happened here um, in the, again, the finals of the top eight of the Star City Games Dallas 5K, uh, Legacy 5K, is that, that one of the players uh, is playing the 43 land deck, which is uh, pretty complex, lots of things to remember, lots of things to do in your upkeep, etc., and it's different. I mean, it's it's different than any deck you'll play in any you know extended or standard. I mean, you can guess by the name, forty three lands. That's a lot of lands for any deck, um, and it's a lot of. I mean, it's more than I keep in most of my EDH decks for crying out loud. It's that's, true. That's, <laughs> that's 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 a that's an important sort of a deck archetype that's completely different than what you're used to seeing. Um, and so, one of the lands that this deck plays um, is Glacial Chasm. Okay, so Glacial Chasm is a land with cumulative upkeep pay two life. So the first time you have to pay two, second time you have to pay four life. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, sacrifice a land. Creatures you control can't attack and prevent all damage that would be dealt to you. So that's a pretty awesome land. Uh, it does basically the job of moat um, and then some with... Uh, you have locks out, sorcery, speed burn. Right, it, it does all sorts of pretty awesome stuff. Um, and in Legacy, you want a card to do all sorts of pretty awesome stuff because you only got 60 slots and, you know, roughly 10,000 cards that can fill those. So that's one of those that makes that in the 43 land deck. Um, and it's a pretty critical card to the deck. It, it lets it survive all sorts of, you know, shenanigans with goblins and other sorts of things. That Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, tooth and nail decks back in the day played the, uh, the fog that flashes back. Blanking on moments of peace. Moments peace. So this is like moments peace on you know crack. This is Mark McGuire's moments peace. Oh my goodness, it's on steroids. <laughs> so you're looking at, at this glacial chasm, and the player has it in play, and he decides, well, you know, I'll attack you um, to his opponent. Oops. 
Yeah, that's the oops there. Uh, when he decides, I'm going to my attack step, and I'm going to... Creatures control can't attack. So. Right. So creatures can't attack, and, and creatures you control can't attack, rather. And so he decides to send some creatures into the red zone. Well, you can't do that with Glacial Chasm in play. Um, so, of course, those great guys over at GGS Live... Right. Or, um, who are uh, watching the game with the video camera right on top of it. Rashad Miller, who's a level 3 judge from the Chicago area, sees this coming. He he, pay, he sees him pay the cumulative upkeep, and he's kind of fiddling with his lands, I guess, and looking like he's going to activate some man lands. And Rashad is just, you know, livid, you know. Oh, they, they, the players can't hear. Rashad's like, no, don't do it, don't do it, don't attack. And yeah. But sure so, enough, he attacked. So he attacked. Um... Now, in and of itself, a game of violation is usually just a warning. This was the third time that this player had committed a game rule violation in the tournament in the course of the day. Well, even just in the top eight is what happened. Um, the second one was in the same match in the finals. He had um, he had played a second land because again, this deck you know uses life from the loan, gets lots of lands in its hand. And sometimes, because of the card Mana Bond, you, you're just kind of used to dumping your hand or exploration. Right. Um, so he had played a land and then maybe done some other stuff, like attack or something, and then played another land. Mm-hmm. And that that's hard to detect sometimes. Sure, it's, sure. It's a way that, uh, you know, people might subtly cheat. Right, and, and so this is another game rule violation. Uh, it was determined in this case, just like these other the other two, that the player wasn't doing this intentionally, wasn't trying to pull a fast one on his opponent or the judges or anything else. First time was in the quarterfinals, maybe, that um, he had an engineered explosive and a mana bond. Uh, engineered explosive with one charge counter and a mana bond. And he sacrificed the explosives to get rid of a bunch of his opponents, you know, one casting cost creatures, and forgot to bin the mana bond. Right. So... You failed to resolve the tr- the activated ability of engineered explosives correctly. Um, it was his, so yeah, I'm sorry. You need to resolve that correctly. That's a warning. Um, and I keep saying I'm sorry. That's uh, you mentioned it earlier. Judges shouldn't say you're sorry because you m- it's your responsibility as a player to know the rules. Um, but well, essentially, we, we want we, we want to be sympathetic to sure. players. So but so the, the problem with saying you're sorry is it, it feels. Uh, players get the impression that somehow you're saying you're sorry because you're wrong about something. Right. Where, you know, we are upholding the IPG, the Infraction Procedure Guide, mm-hmm. you know, to the letter, in this case, the judges in Dallas. Right. They, um, they were, I believe, Jared Silva was there. He's a level three from Roanoke. He's one of the Star City staffers. He was there as either the scorekeeper or the tournament manager. Uh, you also see him on some of the wonderful judge videos that Ingrid Lynn John puts together. Right, and uh, Hector Fuentes, level three from Mexico, was the head judge of the standard portion. Mm-hmm. And I think Rashad Miller, like I said, level three from Chicago, um, doing coverage. The uh, head judge of the Legacy Tournament, Kevin Binswanger, level two from Texas, the, mm-hmm. the hometown guy. All four of these guys, you got three, four, seven, eleven levels of judges uh, had a little powwow about whether they were going to do this, you know whether they were going to give a game loss in the finals of this Legacy Open. And they decided, yes, we have to, because that is what the policy says. We have to be consistent. We can't make any exceptions because of this or that. Right. So, game rule violation number one, engineer explosives gone wrong. Um, game rule violation number two, uh, two lands in a turn. Uh, game rule violation number three, 
again, attacking with through your own glacial chasm. Um, so these are all very different sorts of rules violations, um, but because they all fall under the game rules violation at the competitive REL, um, the upgrade path for these sorts of game rule violations is uh, the first one will get you a warning, the second one gets you a warning, and the third one gets you a game loss. Um, now this happened to be the uh, match ending game loss because I believe they were either one and one or or his opponent had already won game one of that final match. Um, so that that's all that you got to see there, but say this player had gone on and, and continued to mess up with his 43 land deck, um, say it in, you know, after losing that game, uh, if he'd done it again, he'd be awarded a match loss. So it's, again, it's warning, warning, game loss, then match loss. Um, and, and really, you got to wonder if you're going to still stick around in the tournament after that, um, after, you know, going through that many iterations of a game rule violation. Uh, no, I believe it was one-one because um, the feature match coverage made it sound like that the lands player had won the entire tournament, mm -hmm. and then it did like this whole rewind thing. Oh wait, you know he made a game rule violation, right. so he lost. Um, here in Northern California, we have PTQ coming up on Saturday. We're both playing yeah. in it, ironically. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Ricky and I are both playing. Um, well, in what the... are you going to play? What I'm playing on Saturday is uh, going to be either. Ruben Zoo, um, with a couple tweaks, uh, or it's the Burn Willows, uh, Grove of the Burn Willows, fire. Punishing Fire, a couple Bane Slayer Angels in there for good measure, um, or Affinity, and I've kind of got both of those built and simply set up robots. In, 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 yeah, robots. You know, it, it's so simple and linear, and I like the deck. And um, no one's packing Katakis. Right. Nobody care, Nobody has Hercules Recall or Katakis, so you just basically you know run over everybody. Um, in fact, I, I don't even think it's worth you know main decking the uh, thought seasons because you don't even need to worry about hate. Um, yeah. Turns out affinity is no good anymore, which makes you kind of <laughs> like what do you? They never, they never, okay, they never unban cards in mm -hmm. extended, right? They they just recently unbanned a couple in legacy, like in tomb. Mm -hmm. um, Dream halls, Dream halls was the right. Do you think that? It's worth exploring unbanning something like Disciple of the Vault, or is that just way over? No, uh, people still? people would still just. I think as soon as that happened, uh, the metagame would be Affinity and what beats Affinity, and that yeah. stay. You'd, you'd be like fairies in standard a uh, year and a half ago. It'd be the, the same sort of same sort of uh, metagame, which is you know rock and paper, no scissors. Well, I'd like to see it come out. Right. I just picked up a foil one. I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I saw it and I was like, oh, I gotta have this and. Wait, it's not an extended darn. Right. Uh, so, well, so I'm playing green white this weekend with all of the. Uh, I think it's been called Haterade in the past. Or yeah. Haterader. Yes. With yes. Uh, root maze, suppression field, and Aven mind sensor. So anyone with fetch lands is going to get destroyed by me. Uh -huh. And if you play, if you play the robots, you're going to destroy me. Right. Right. Well. That's one vote for affinity. Um, so because <laughs> take... if we face each other in like the one-two bracket, <laughs> right? Well, I think Conan might make that a future match too. <laughs> All right, that that would be fun. We'll see. And there's a couple of rules interactions uh, that are coming up in the extended metagame um, that deserve a little bit of attention. That really only a judge can give. Well, I've um, seen a lot of people talk about things where the the answer is correct, the gist is correct, right. but the the wording, the specific wording, is is a little bit off, and it's not really a problem for players' understanding of how you know how a deck or cards work. 
But if they're trying to explain it to their opponent, or even more, if they're trying to explain it to a judge who gets called over, you want to get the wording right, because if, if you don't, the judge will either not know what you're talking about, or might ding you for using the wrong terminology to explain something. Right. It, it's akin to, um, I remember years a couple years ago when uh, the Revlark combo was so popular and standard, uh, you'd have kids come into our F&M, pick up, pick up the combo deck and try to explain how it works, and they get to all the pieces in play, and then they'd say, and then I win, right? <laughs> and and really that's not the case you need to be able to understand how your deck works how your combo works and be able to explain it um, not only to your opponent but when your opponent says what the hell are you talking about judge you need to be able to explain that to the judge be able to show that loop or show that interaction or something very simple like astral slide you know with the at the end of your turn cycle a card slide something out and then it doesn't come back until the next end of turn step. Right. And then there were some instances, and this was a tricky interaction, where if you had a face-down creature that secretly exalted Angel, because that's the only one, uh, you would want to use your Astral Slide when they pass priority to you in their second main phase, because you want it to come back in their end step. So it can attack, so it can attack turn. next turn. Right. And a lot of players would mess that up and just kind of go, at the end of your turn, I slide out my face-down Angel, and then... The astute opponent would say, okay, well, it doesn't come back until your next end of the turn. Right. So exact terminology can be very important in situations. Right. So, so in that vein, uh, we want right. to talk about so, two decks that are uh, kind of on the up and up uh, here in the extended metagame. Uh, one of those is Hypergenesis, and the other one is Valakut. Did you want to talk about Hypergenesis, Ricky? Right. I, uh, I had judged a GPT this past weekend up in Medford, Oregon. And, and a GPT means a Grand Prix oh, Trial. Yes. Um, that's the uh, sort of tournament where the winner will get uh, three buys at an upcoming Grand Prix. Um, and then so you win your first three rounds at a Grand Prix. Right. Fantastic. Right. And you don't even have to play. <laughs> Um, yeah, so this was up in Medford at Astral Games. Uh, TO is Aaron Hassel doing a, a great job up there. And mostly I went up there to certify two individuals, which I was successful. Uh, Matt Marr, who is actually also a pro Magic player. He top eight at Grand Prix LA, local to the Medford area. And Michael Jimenez from Wairica, about maybe half hour south of there on the California side of the border. Both of them passed their L1 exam, so now you know we've got some DCI representation up there, and hopefully we can have some more events like this. The, the players were incredibly happy. Um, these are people who have probably never played in a competitive REL event, maybe never played extended. They, you know, they were so appreciative of me coming up and helping run this event, and it was a really great time that I had. But a lot of them didn't know their cards too well, especially Hypergenesis. Um, I think it's because Hypergenesis is maybe a budget deck in Extended. Uh, you could probably buy the whole deck for less than a set of Tarma Boys. <laughs> right, the most expensive card you're going to run into is probably finding those those you know big critters that come in late. Uh, they come in with the hypergenesis things there, like uh, Angel of Despair, Progenitus. There's a lot of yeah. Nicky Knack middle rares. Like I was saying, I was talking to a friend today saying how hypergenesis is budget. And he's like, well, you know, Angel of Despair is up to seven dollars. Gemstone Mine is six or seven. Right. Yeah, but Tarmac Boys are fifty or sixty dollars. Sure. And I, anyway, hypergenesis is a complicated deck to play, though. The cheap as the the cards themselves may be to buy. Yes. Yeah, so one of the biggest problems with hypergenesis is. 
that you're putting all these creatures onto the battlefield and they have different types of abilities when they enter the battlefield. Um, you've got your Angel of Despair, which is uh, whenever it enters the battlefield, destroy target permanent. That's a triggered ability. We know that because of the, the when. Other cards, uh, you might have Meddling Mage, for example. Well, not Meddling Mage. That's not. I don't think that's in this deck. But uh, let's say Iona actually is the one that's in the deck. As Iona enters the battlefield, uh, choose a color, and then spells of the chosen color cannot be cast. Yeah, that's a static ability, not a triggered ability. So the difference is between when and as. Right. The as, it is a replacement effect that replaces how it enters the battlefield. So as soon as that card, you know, from your hand of the battlefield via hypergenesis, you have to choose a color. Angel of Despair, triggered ability, the ability triggers, but it doesn't go on the stack until after hypergenesis completely resolves. Right. And so people would be choosing targets for Angel of Despair yeah. while their opponent's saying, oh, I'll put this into play, this into play. Right. Say, okay, well, I'll kill that. And they're not done resolving Hypergenesis yet. So, so, so um, Matt and I watched a Hypergenesis resolved, and a player did do that. He dropped an Angel of Despair and said, target that thing. I think it might have been a Revelark. Um, and it didn't matter. It didn't end up mattering, so we let it go as just kind of a shortcut. Right, out-of-order sequencing right. almost. But what could happen here is that the way it's supposed to legally play out is that you drop everything and then, you know, you say Angel of Despair targeting something. So you could get your selection of targets from other things they play after the Angel. Right. Or if the if the Revelark is targeted and destroyed, it would then, you know, leave the battlefield. And then you might have some creatures in your graveyard that you could target that wouldn't be there during the resolution of hypergenesis. Right. So it could definitely matter in that way. Uh, it didn't there, so we let it go. But we were we were watching to make sure. And then after that game was over, uh, you know, I talked to them and said, "Hey, I, I noticed how you guys resolved hypergenesis. That's not exactly correct. Hopefully, cleared up." Another one I saw was an Iona. You know, choosing the colors. They asked about it so that they did that correctly. And then the next one was a, uh, Sakashima the Imposter entered the battlefield and copied Iona. <laughs> so that was fantastic. So he actually locked out two colors. Right. And Sakashima is the same way. You choose the what it's copying as it enters. Mm -hmm. So it becomes Iona. And then since it's Iona coming in, you also choose the color. Right. Um, it's, a, it's a good way to get around the legend rule. Because my first thought was like, oh, like why is Sakashima in here? Oh, because it's... Legendary. Right. Who who wants two copies of Progenitus? Raise your hand. You know? <laughs> that's 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 what it's in there for. Um, and then another hypergenesis thing that came up was Chalice of the Void. Obviously, mm -hmm. probably the best way to stop the combo. Right. Is Chalice for zero because there's no mana cost in the card, right. which converted mana cost counts as zero. Right. That's uh, that's something that. Uh, a lot of players do uh, mistake, well, it doesn't have a mana cost. That's different from a zero mana cost. Well, Chalice of the Void is looking for what's called the converted mana cost, which, um, if it returns an all value in looking at the card, would be zero. Right. It would, it would have to be worded as something like uh, spells with a mana cost of zero can't be played. Right. Which, you know, your Ornithopters and Chromeboxes are out of luck. One, one, one last thing with uh, this GPT... The most interesting question, and interesting here is not very interesting, but I mean, uh, I guess funniest question we got asked was, 
player uh, had a creature and he said, okay, my, my opponent played clone and copied my creature, my legendary creature. Uh, what happens now? Do they, do they both die? Does one die? You know, he's confused about the interaction of legendary and clone. And we looked at the board and Modi is pointing at we're like, uh, Matt was the one who actually answered this question. Well, that's, that's not legendary. Vampire Nocturnus, you know, is just a creature vampire. Doesn't say legendary on the front of it. And the player's like, oh, but what about this? And he points to the mana symbol. You know, isn't that, isn't that uh, what is it, the special rare, legendary rare? Mythic, Mythic rare! rare. <laughs> We're like, no, 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 that's just the rarity. It does not denote that it's legendary. But in his mind, somewhere along the line, uh, he thought it was legendary. And I think he might have mentioned something. Well, I've only ever seen one of these. But it is an epic card for him. Well, now, I, I hope that uh, those of you who have uh, plans to go to uh, an extended PTQ in the near future have seen more than one Mythic Rare. Chances are you've seen a whole host of Baneslayers either beating you down. I've only seen one Baneslayer. Wow. In the world. Wow. One of the other complex rules interactions in extended um, is Valakut the Molten Pinnacle. And that's that's uh, basically a one-card combo that Scapeshift has. If you have um, seven lands in play and you play Scapeshift, then if you get Valakut and six other mountains... Each of those mountains will all come into play at the same time as all, and Valakut will say, hmm, all these mountains are coming into play with five other mountains, so let's have a whole bunch of triggers all dealing three damage to something, usually that one player's opponent. That play by itself uh, will result in 18 damage there, because you have six okay, mountains. Good. See, I was trying to count on my fingers, and right, totally right, right. lost count. Yeah, it's 18 damage, because you have six mountains, each with a Valakut trigger. Um, now... The awkward thing is that uh, Valakut has what's called an intervening if clause. Basically, it says, when a mountain comes into play, if you control five other mountains, do this thing, which is three damage. There are a couple plays in Extended where, and I've been dreaming about this uh, with my with my Ruben Zoo deck, uh, because I'm thinking, oh boy, if I run an escape shift, this is what I'll do. If the player searches for those six mountains and the Valakut, if those six mountains are non-basic mountains, let's say, and you're able to destroy one of them with, oh, say, Ghost Quarter, um, maybe summoned up quickly by uh, Knight of the Reliquary, um, if you get rid of one of those mountains um, and they're unable to find a basic mountain to replace it through Ghost Quarter's ability, then all of the remaining five mountains will say, hmm, well, there's only four of us here. Um, and they'll then tell Valakut not to go off for them, but the trigger left over from the one mountain that you destroyed uh, will still say, hmm, there's still five other mountains other than the one that's not here anymore, so uh, that trigger will still resolve. So basically you can reduce your damage from 18 to 3 by getting rid of that one mountain. The intervening if clause of a triggered ability checks both when it should trigger mm -hmm. and then just before it would resolve. Right. As it resolves, right, checks. So that intervening if clause on Valakut is, is really closely watched. Um, and basically, if you have your ghost quarters, just pray that when they got all their mountains from Scapeshift, that they got all their basic mountains while they were at it. Uh, that's, that's what you should hope for. And if you're playing Scapeshift, please just remember to leave a basic mountain in the deck. Uh, you know, get the stopping rounds instead. Um, otherwise, you're going to be very disappointed when that ghost quarter hits one of your mountains. So you called it a one-card combo, but you need seven lands. 
Right? Well, sure. Sure. So it's like an eight-card combo. I mean, the whole deck is the combo happening in one way or another between the Sakura Tribe Elders. I, you know, after the M10 rules change, I didn't think I would ever see Sakura Tribe Elder in a deck, but now you see it in the Valakut decks. Um, so it's like a slow storm deck with lands. Basically, yeah. yeah. It's, Instead um, of playing lots of spells in one turn, you're just lots of lands over several turns. Right. You, can, you could even call it a tectonically slow uh, storm deck. I don't know what that word means, but okay. It's I'm making a bad pun about lands. Anyway, so funny, funny side story about Scapeship Valkyrie. Um, one of the first times this deck got played at Pro Tour Austin. Uh, this is when, I, I, yeah, Austin was right after Zendikar. So some probably Japanese player, because the Japanese are so smart, comes up with this deck a few weeks after Zendikar is released. And I, I think some people were talking about it, but weren't taking it seriously. Like, haha, uh, escape shift and delicate, blah, blah, blah. But uh, it's playing this deck, but doesn't quite uh, get all the rules interactions down. So at some point in the match, the judge gets called over. The player says, judge, I, I just escape shifted. Tell my opponent how much damage I do from these two Valakits and five mountains. <laughs> and the judge, you know, looks at the board and confirms, okay, two Valakits, five mountains, and kind of dumbfounded, says zero damage. <laughs> Congratulations. The player learned a very valuable lesson. Don't get greedy. Make sure you get your six mountains. That's right. You probably saw that it says if you control at least five other mountains and just kind of had in his head five mountains. Right, right. It's probably what happened. So if you are playing Scape Shift uh, in the coming Don't do that. Here, and don't get like three Valakits and four mountains. Right, unless you're playing me, in which case, by all means, get just five mountains. I'm, I'm totally happy with that. Um, I think it is the right play if you're playing against me or, or Ricky. Um, so, so with that, we have uh, that's a couple of the, the more complex. I don't care. Ones. I'm going to be playing Aven Mind Sensor. <laughs> I'll respond to your Valakate, and you can search the top uh, four cards of your library for as many mounds as you want. Uh, not going to find five that <laughs> no. way, or four or six for that matter. <laughs> so, th those are the the complex rules interactions that we see right now in Extended. Of course, there's a ton more. Um, I mean, with the sort of library of cards available to Extended players, um, the complex interactions are just. Too many to name right now, too many to go through. Um, well, and the same interactions keep coming up. Like, how many times can we tell people about engineered explosives and chalice of the voids and converted mana costs? So, those are some complex rules interactions. Um, but I wanted to move on to sort of a, a way that we can leave our listeners with um, some hope for their own future um, and maybe their own future in the Dredge program. Um, this is... This is probably one of the most exciting announcements ever. Maybe? Well, in, I, in my history as a judge? I, I think, I, as far as the judge program goes, um, the, the recognition of FNM, Friday Night Magic, as the flagship uh, organized play opportunity, it, it really does resonate with me, but personally, as a FNM judge for the last four or five years here at Great Escape Games in Sacramento. It's meant a lot to me to see, wow, this is finally getting recognized as this is where the new players come. This is how the game grows. This is the backbone of organized play. This resonates to me as a Friday Night Magic player. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, right. I usually play in Friday Night Magic and you know, let, let some of my uh, 
trainee as a judge and get some experience. Sure, sure. And I'm still available to answer questions. And so the, the judge foils mean a lot once you've worked so hard to get them. Um, and it really means a lot now for the program to have these judge foils uh, dispersed now to those of us that could not make it to those events. Uh, the Grand Prix, the Pro Tours, the 5Ks. Now you can... Right. This really... This is going to hurt my underground judge foil trading business. Right. I mean... Because everyone's going to have them now. <laughs> right. The but meddling yeah. mage ones will plummet in value. And again, to reiterate, um, only certified judges are eligible for this program. So if you want to be getting your foil, you know, meddling mages and other other cards... You need to become a certified judge, and there's time between now and the end of April so that you could potentially, you know, if you're that good a player, you, your rules knowledge is that solid, your policy knowledge can be brought up that quickly, it's possible for a non-judge player listening to this right now. Uh, I'm pretty sure we've probably already had certifications driven by this announcement absolutely. this past weekend. Absolutely. So, so that it's possible for you to become a certified judge and make that commitment to your community. Um, and then have that commitment rewarded with the foils that the DCI will send you. So right. what so are those foils? We've we mentioned Meddling Mage. That is the first foil. How, right. how do you get that? Well, you can be the head judge for your Friday Night Magic. You can be the tournament organizer for your Friday Night Magic. Or you can simply play in your Friday Night Magic. Hey, that's good for me. Right. You do any of those things uh, for three FNMs between now and the end of April... Uh, that's 14 Friday Night Magic opportunities there. So we had an outtake where we were trying to figure <laughs> it out, and it took us about 30 seconds. Right. But now, now we can just say right. 14. 14. It actually may be 15. I need to look it up to be sure. But and by the time you hear this, it could be 13. Um, so three of those. That's if easy. You're, if you're one, one a month. Right. One a month. Um, you Show know, up, play, judge, organize. Yeah. I mean, even guys with, with wives like me or you know, can, can still go out and do that. Why do you got to rub it in like that, that I'm single? <laughs> Hear that, everybody? Ricky is single. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. People have tried. Okay. Well, but but they haven't broadcasted on the web like this. So. <laughs> okay, so you get your, th your three F&Ms in under your belt, and you get your meddling mage. Well, now, what if you decide, you know, I kind of like this game, Magic. I kind of like playing. <laughs> I kind of like it. <laughs> That's you a know, good one. I kind of like this, and, and maybe I want to play some more, or maybe I want to judge some more, or maybe I want to organize more. That's great. And if you do that, for doing three additional F&Ms, yep. uh, you'll get... Six total now. Right. Six F&Ms. Right. You'll get the Meddling Mage, Burning Wish, which is brand new. Mm -hmm. It just came out at Worlds in Rome, along with Polluted Delta. Very, very few of these currently. Um, and then also Cunning Wish... And Living Wish. I've seen Burning Wish uh, retailing online for like 30 bucks. Really? Yeah, yeah, oh. 30 bucks online. I mean, granted, that, that value is going to plummet uh, as we see more of these printed. So as my agent, you're telling me to sell, sell, sell what I have right now. If you can find people who want Burning Wishes, okay. sure. It's kind of interesting that uh, we haven't done uh, Golden Wish and Death Wish. Now, Golden Wish, they probably don't want to do. It's never been played competitive. Right. Outside of, you know, maybe Battle of Wits type decks. Well, and Death Wish uh, just... Death isn't... Wish sees some vintage play, right? Um, kind of. I mean, up until the change in EDH's command zone, uh, Death Wish was right. kind of the only way that you could actually hope to play with Hakon Scourge of Strongmold as your general. <laughs> <laughs> so, potentially Death Wish in the future. Right. Um, but for now, 
Uh, these are the, th the three wishes that you get uh, for playing, judging, or organizing FNM. Right, and that's playing or judging or organizing FNM anywhere. So uh, those and of it, you yeah, that... an existing store that you already frequent, perhaps. Right, for perhaps the one that I'm in right now. Like those six FNMs, sure, I could. And, and I think that the funny thing about this, too, is that um, you know, if Ricky decided to come to my FNMs, just because there are two judges at an FNM, uh, you'll still be qualified to get these foils. It's not like you have to be the only judge there, or you have to be the only one playing, or the only one judging. Um, well, otherwise, like, that would have the reverse effect. Instead right. of people wanting to become judges, I would have to start killing you all so I could get my foils. <laughs> right. So then it would be like Highlander. There can be only one in this tournament, and we pull out our swords, and <laughs> and one of us ends up without a limb or beheaded yeah. or something, and then the other one gets a bolt of lightning and right. learns everything the other one knew. So actually, I think that's how Sheldon Menry became a level five judge. He dueled and got a lot of information from other judges by cutting their heads off. Right. Note to self: avoid. Well. Sharp objects around <laughs> Sheldon Menery. Oh, Sheldon? I mean, he doesn't need a sword. For those of you who haven't seen Sheldon, I tell this story all the time. He is built like a tree trunk. This guy's arms are as thick as my legs. And I, if he gave me a bear hug, I think he would just, like, squeeze my eyeballs out. He also has a, has a good, you know, hundred... But he's, he's a real nice guy. Be his friend, because he's yeah. very friendly. Absolutely. You know, obviously the founder, pretty much, founding father of EDH. Mm -hmm. Loves to play, so... I have a friend, uh, Chris, who loves EDH, and he's always telling me, like, oh, I'm going to go to Pro Tour San Diego and challenge Sheldon Menery. Right. So I hope that happens. I'd love to see that, that showdown. Well, now, now, Ricky, I think we're holding some of our audience in suspense here because we haven't talked about the coolest part of this new Judge Foil program for FNM. Well, I've already got the four foils. What's better than that? Well, there's a lot better than that. Now, you're going to kind of have to go outside of your comfort zone to get these other cool foils, but they're much cooler than just the Wishes and the Meddling Mage. Mm -hmm. um, outside your comfort zone means going to a new store, going to a store that hasn't run F&M in a year. Here in Sacramento, we have, I think, nine or ten F&M locations within about a 20-mile radius of okay. downtown. I mean, that's a ton of places that are already running F&M. But I'll tell you, I was looking on the, on the store locator website uh, just earlier today, and I noticed another half dozen stores in the area. Retail stores. Re retail so, stores. Not, not the Walmarts so, and the, yeah, the this, Targets. This has to be a retail store running F&M. We right. know that a lot of people run F&Ms, you know, at school libraries or, you know, out of other public spaces. Right. But that's, that's great. But this is kind of an outreach to connect judges to stores. So if I go to the, this new store, like Joe Schmo's Comics and Cards somewhere. That's a terrible name for a comic <laughs> store. They should really look into changing their name. Um, well, but okay, fine. Joe Schmo's. They, um, and they don't run Friday Night Magic. And they haven't for all of 2009. Right. I go in and Mr. Schmo says, we've never run Friday Night Magic. Right. They say, well, here's, here's your chance. Because as a judge, I can sanction Friday Night Magic myself. Right. Say, I, I will enter your store location as my Friday Night Magic location and sanction events for you here. And then I do that, and it gets me what? An exalted angel. This is one of the most beautiful pieces of magic art I've ever right. seen. This is by Rob Alexander, right. a very, very popular artist who does a lot of lands. Mm -hmm. But um, this, this exalted angel, she's, a, she's beautiful. I'm a little smitten. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the past I've purchased actually prints of this and given them to friends. Now, on top of that, if you decide that you can really dedicate yourself to keeping FNM going in that location. Right. So that's just one FNM. If they get some players in, they're like, hey, can you do this again? Right. So you decide, well, sure, I'll do it again. Two more times. You do two additional FNMs. Again, between now and the end of April, Wizards will send you two more onslaught fetch land. Um, the ones I have pictured in the promo are the Flooded Strand and the Wooded Foothills. Um, they don't specify, so we'll just say... Yeah, not guaranteed. Right. You'll get two out of the five, two different ones out of the five. But there's there's three more. Right, and, and you get those three by getting that store to do three more FNMs. Six total. Between now and the end of April. So by growing FNM in a new store, you can explode your Judge Foil collection. It does a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to get the judges to come out of their homes. Like the right. judges who are already certified. Right. It, it's a, it's a great set of Come to FNM. It's like maybe, you know, like Toby Elliott, uh, level 5 in Palo Alto. Maybe he doesn't go to FNM. I, I'm not sure. I know that he drafts, uh, but it might just be with his friends, right? But maybe he decides, in addition to the 500 foils he already has from you know, head judging pro tours, he needs a few more. So he goes to Friday Night Magic at some store in Palo Alto mm-hmm. uh, and shows his face. And it's kind of yeah, like show the flag, like get to know judges in your area type of thing. Right. Uh, on the other side of the coin, it gets those people who are on the fence about becoming judges to kind of go, well, here's another carrot. Now, you know, we always try to caution people. Don't just do it for the product, because if you go judge at a PTQ, usually you come home with a box of uh, whatever the newest set is. Well, that's a, what, 12-plus-hour day a lot of times, including top eight of a PTQ. Uh, you know, you're barely cracking minimum wage there for your box. So really, you're doing it because of the fun and you love the game and you want to help out. Um, but, you know, it never hurts to get some stuff. <laughs> So this is another little kind of get-your-stuff thing, and maybe someone was thinking about it, oh, I don't know, hemming and hawing. Well, okay, Friday Night Magic is a lot easier, and all I have to do is play, so I might as well become certified. Yeah, this and that's, you know, at, at Drums and Davis, I, I have two guys who are, you know, store employees that have been thinking about it, studying, and now this has really lit that fire. Okay, like, now I really have to get certified. Right, this is an amazing set of incentives, and uh, we have a few people here um, locally in, at Great Escape and at other stores in the area um, that have you know hemmed and hawed over, well, I'll get to the testing when I get to the testing, and I'll, I'll take those practice exams eventually. Oh, I'm having trouble getting my DCI number to work on the Judge Center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go through all those excuses. Um, this sort of program could just be that, that one push that those, those potential judges need to become actual judges. And I think it's, it's a really awesome program. Right, um, well, because when, when, I have, when I have my binder full of foils and I show people, like, this, this is the kind of stuff you can get for judging, like, well, not really. Because mm-hmm. the Grand Prix only rolls into town, you know, once a year or so. Right. And the Pro Tour maybe doesn't even come close to you in some years. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might not get a chance, but this is everyone's chance. I mean, Friday Night Magic, it, it doesn't get much easier than that. I mean, I, I understand that there will be some places where this will be difficult. Uh, and I think in Europe, maybe some countries might not even have Friday Night Magic programs in place, so mm-hmm. 
that's something that they will probably be working on as well in the future to get right. that magic to those places. Um, in the meanwhile, yes, come, become a judge. We'll help you get certified. And on that note, um, I guess at this point we should leave you with some contact information because if you do want to become a judge, um, if you know somebody, the best player in your kitchen table playgroup and think, you know, if somebody's going to be a judge, it should be this person. Hopefully that's you, but if it's somebody else, you know. Um, that's how I started. Right, right. And, and we all have different different stories about how we started uh, judging and, and we'll probably we'll, get we'll into those. We'll maybe next time. We'll talk right. about how we got started in judging. Yeah. Um, but with that, um, if you do want to get in touch with us, um, do we have a cool email address or are we just giving out our regular ones? Oh, no, no. We're going to get cool ones. Okay. Um, but I'm going to set them up on Gmail later. So <laughs> uh, for the time being, uh, we're going to just cut this off awkwardly. Well, wherever, this, wherever you found this podcast, we'll probably have a little information beneath That's it. right. Look for the look for these uh, look look for the contact information in the show notes, um, and also that's what they're yes in the show notes. Okay. Um, and otherwise, we, you know what you know you can always find me on Facebook, Ricky Hayashi, R I K I H A Y A S H I. Only one in the world, I, I think. Still, uh, find me on Facebook. Um, maybe just put a little note that you're interested in judging, or you listen to the podcast, and then I'll add you as a friend. And, have some chats or message exchanges about becoming a judge. That's right. And my contact information, um, you'll also find me on Facebook. Um, my name is Sean, S-E-A-N, Catanese, that's C-A-T-A-N-E-S-E. Um, and again, you'll find me on Facebook. Uh, Ricky is a friend of mine there. So uh, you find one of us, you'll find the other. And uh, with that, we thank you for listening to this inaugural edition of Judge Cast, and hopefully we will uh, hear from you, um, hear your questions, um, hear your trials and tribulations as you hopefully become judges, some of you, um, and, and hopefully be able to resolve some of the issues that come up as you uh, navigate the world of judging magic. Well, I just want to say thank you to you, Sean, for putting this together. I have all these crazy ideas, and uh, sometimes it takes a while to get them off the ground uh, because I need to find the right people to do the job. And when I pitched this to Sean in an email, I said, you know, just knowing one of these crazy things I've been thinking about, Judge Cast, like what if we have a podcast? And I, I think it's been like maybe a week, week and a half since then. And he's put together all the technical stuff, and so I really appreciate you doing this. And thank you to Great Escape Games uh, in Sacramento for lending us the, the space. That's right. The quiet space to be able to record this. Yeah, we're right now recording from one of their private gaming rooms. Um, of course, we if, run FNM here, so come on down. Um, and uh, if you if you go to Pro Tour Qualifiers in Sacramento, that's where it's at. Yep. Um, we are the big site there. Hold about 200. Over 200, yeah. I think we had for one term. We're close to it. Yeah, we've got a cavern of a game room back there. Um, so definitely look forward to seeing you or hearing from you. And with that, uh, keep it fair, keep it fun. 